Today's program has been brought to you by the International Culinary Center, offering courses that range from classic French techniques in culinary, pastry, and bread baking to Italian studies to management, from culinary technology to food writing, from cake making to wine tasting. For more information, visit internationalculinarycenter.com. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network, broadcasting live from Bushwick, Brooklyn. If you like this program, visit heritageradionetwork.org for thousands more. Hey, and welcome to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today we're coming to you from Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn. You can listen to the show live every Thursday at 11 a.m. on heritageradionetwork.org or download the podcast on iTunes. Today, I'm excited to continue with this season's opening theme of interior design. Last week, I sat down with Noah Santos of Home Polish to talk about the next wave of interior designers and how people access them. And today, I'm thrilled to be joined by one of my favorite young interior designers, Amanda Gorski. Amanda has been working with us at Design Sponge to make over our seriously disgusting office crafting area and has already taught us so much about experimenting with colors and patterns that we wouldn't typically try. And I'm so happy with what we've done so far and excited to hear more about her story and her thoughts on the current design scene. So welcome, Amanda. Thanks so much for being here. Thanks for having me. (laughs) So I know a little bit about you because we've been working together. But for those people who aren't familiar with you, let's start all the way back in the beginning. Um, Can you tell us where you grew up? I grew up in Houston, Texas, born and raised, and I moved to New York when I was about 19 for school. Oh, that's pretty young. What was it like growing up in Texas? I think Texas is fantastic. Um, But was your family creative? Was the community you grew up in creative? Were you sort of encouraged to try stuff like that? I was always naturally very creative as a child, always into arts and drawing and painting and stuff like that. But my family never really was really creative. I think my grandmother painted and my grandfather was a musician. Um, but my parents directly themselves, no. So it was always very strange that I ended up in this creative field because it was never something that came naturally like from home. What did you think you were going to do when you were little? Did you think you were going to work in something creative? To be honest, when I first moved to New York, I wanted to work in PR. Oh. And I moved to New York and I did a few internships in um, PR. And then I also, just because I needed a connection when I first moved to New York, started interior, uh, working as an intern for a home decor designer. Mm. And so that was kind of my intro into the interior design world. That's a good, PR is a good skill to have to go into, I think, just about any other job. I think especially for interior design. I think so, too. My major in college was communications, and I think once I graduated and I started working in the interior design world, it's actually really benefited me because there's so many things that come up in interior design dealing with clients and contractors and vendors that you really need to be able to communicate and kind of settle the dust sometimes that comes up. Exactly. I feel like half that job is negotiating between human beings and communication is like a major, major part of that. Yes. And especially the sort of like smile and grin through it stuff you learn in PR. I feel like it's very helpful in interior design. Um, Let's talk about your first big step as a designer. Um, You moved to New York for school. Um, Were you studying there? Did you think you would graduate and go on to be in design? Um, I actually didn't. It didn't occur to me until after I graduated. And my now fiance, then boyfriend, um, mentioned, you know, were you, what are you going to do? I said, I don't know what I'm going to do. And he goes, well, we had just moved and I read our apartment. He said, this looks great. Have you ever thought of interior design? And it kind of dawned on me and I started thinking back as a kid growing up, I was always very 
into what my room looked mm. like and designing it and putting my own twist into it. And I always noticed like, you know, my friends' houses and how nicely put together they were and that I wanted my house to be that way. And so it kind of dawned on me later on in life that this seems like a perfect natural fit. And I'm also a cancer, so I'm like very <laughs> into what my home looks yeah. like. I'm very homey. And so for me, it just felt like such an obvious thing that I hadn't thought about before. I think it's so interesting. I feel like especially people of our generation, it's not something that a lot of people grew up thinking they would do. Like I didn't understand that interior design was an actual thing you could do until like the very end of college. And I was like, oh, this is a job people can do. It's like an actual thing. I figured there was like painting and like photography and other fine art things. But interior design was like this weird nebulous thing that I didn't realize was an actual job. I was the exact same way. And I wish that I had known that because I do wish that I had gone to school for interior design. But, you know. It all worked out. Yeah. I think it's fine. <laughs> um, I want to talk a little bit about your very first job. What was it like um, sort of working for a larger company? And how did you decide to kind of make the move out onto your own? Uh, my first company I worked for was a small interior design firm um, in Soho. And they were great. It was really very hands-on. They hired me as an intern and then hired me full-time. And I worked for them for about two and a half to three years. And it was great. I mean, I, I kind of pretty much taught myself everything. It was not a hand-holding situation. They're like, you need to figure this out. Yeah. And so I taught myself a lot, and it was really great. And I was just really eager to be able to do things on my own, and I wasn't feeling that I was able to do that there. So it was really scary, but I made this jump. I decided to leave and to start my own company. Um, and I was, I just wanted so badly to create spaces and put my own ideas out there. And I'd spent so much time watching other people do it, and I was just <laughs> ready to do it myself. So... What, what was the hardest part about first starting out on your own? Getting that first client. Yeah. And was what, was, what was the very first job like? The very first job um, was amazing. It was tedious at first. Um, I think there's a lot that goes into it that you don't learn working for someone else because you don't get to sit in on the client meetings yeah. a lot and you're mainly in the background. So I think maintaining client expectations mm. and or, you know, the biggest thing is maintaining client expectations and learning, you know, I always have learned to kind of give myself a little room here and there just because I know that things come up and yeah, you got to be able to roll with the punches. What do you think is the biggest misconception people have about interior designers? Like when they hire somebody and you show up, what's the sort of thing you see that people like either expect that you're going to do or maybe they don't know that you'll offer that service or what do you think is like the biggest think people don't understand maybe about hiring a professional I think a lot of people think that it's a very easy job mm. I think a lot of people think that they're just hiring us to go shopping for them and to put things together nicely but there's so much more that goes behind it there's you know the color technique and you know there's a lot of things if you're building out a space you got to have that technical education of doing renderings and these types of things that take time I just did a rendering for a client for a new kitchen build out and that's you know it takes six hours to do these things and they don't realize that yeah, I think what's well, funny, I talked with this about um, you work with Home Polish and I had Noah who founded Home Polish on last week and we were talking about like the difference in like interior designers now versus maybe like 10, 20 years ago. And he was talking about how in a lot in a lot of ways, like we both agreed that interior designers were often sort of like people who didn't need to have a job. So they were like people who just shopped and picked pretty things out for people. And there's actually like a lot of skill behind like a big makeover in the sense of like 
redoing the space layout, redoing colors, redoing patterns, all of those things and the way they work together versus like just buying someone a new chair and being like, that looks awesome. Um, and I think that's such an interesting switch in today's designer. In terms of the clients you're getting now, I feel like one of the things I love is that I feel like younger people are hiring interior designers now and not just kind of like fancy Upper East Side ladies. Um, what sort of expectations or requests are you getting from younger and sort of younger clients that you aren't getting from maybe the more typical interior design client? Like, what are you most asked for these days? Younger clients tend to want something that's very unique. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that's great because you get to be really creative and kind of throw out different ideas. But sometimes it's harder because really unique things aren't easy to come by. Yeah. So it's a risk. But so far, knock on wood, all those <laughs> risks I've suggested and done with my clients have turned out really great. And I'm, I'm very appreciative of that. And I feel like more higher-end clients, they want name designers. Mm-hmm. They want expensive pieces. And they just want like it to look nice. They're yeah. not interested in having you know, crazy wallpapers yeah. and colors and stuff like that. What do you think is like the biggest difference between sort of the the budget that I think is interesting that people are working with? We talked about this last week. People who have like $10,000 to work with and what they're doing in their home versus somebody who has like $200,000 to make over a house. Do you see sort of like a major difference in what people are requesting in those budgets? Or do you feel like younger people are now expecting to do like a lot more with a little budget? Or do you feel like people understand that like 10 grand equals like a small amount of changes? From my personal experience, I feel that people with smaller budgets are expecting a lot from it. And that's really, really hard to do, especially this day and age. Things cost a lot of money. We Mm -hmm. live in New York City. Even if you want to go to a flea market here, the prices are inflated as opposed to in Texas, for example. So one of the biggest things I feel like people on smaller budgets, younger couples, they do want more unique and interesting pieces. And so it's it's really hard and it takes time for me to be able to come up with cost-effective solutions that meet their budget but are also really creative and unique. How open do you think people are to the idea of working with like thrift store pieces or hand-me-downs or reimagining furniture they already have? Because I feel like the blog community is so open to that concept, but I've heard people who hire designers are always shocked when somebody recommends they go to like a thrift store or repaint a piece of furniture, which to me is like the smartest way to stretch a budget. But do you feel like people are open to that or is that something they don't expect with like a hired interior designer? Um, my, my personal take is that a lot of people haven't been as open to it as people in our industry, yeah. interior designers, blog, you know, bloggers like that. We know what gems are out there and that it takes those little interesting finds that you can't just go online and pick out or go to Parimar and pick out, you know, to really make something unique and come together. But I feel like clients are very wary of that. They don't get it. They don't get to it's not something they can immediately look up online and see an image of. Yeah. So they're like I don't know how that's going to look. I can't picture if we repaint that chair and recover that chair as opposed to here's a chair with a new fabric. This is what it looks like. Yeah. This is what you're going to get. Do you find that people are coming in asking for a specific style or are they sort of hiring somebody with good taste in the hopes that like you'll kind of hand them a style? Sometimes clients have a specific style and sometimes I think they see like my portfolio and they're drawn to certain jobs that I've done and they say, I like the way that this turned out. This is what I'm leaning towards. I always ask my clients, look online, Mm -hmm. find inspiration images. It's so much easier for me if you say, I like this color of this wall or I like the overall look of this room. It's a lot easier for me to go and create that for you as opposed to you coming to me and saying, 
I don't know what I want, or I like white walls and pops of color, and I like furniture. What kind of furniture do you like? Mid-century? Traditional? So, Do you feel like people have an education about what those terms actually mean? You were saying that, and I was thinking to myself, like, oh, like the blog generation has a really good idea of what those terms mean, because like all these different blogs are doing great education and like what those terms mean, how to represent that type of furniture and how to find it. Do you feel like your average interior design client has like a good healthy knowledge of what those things mean or is a, a large part of your job kind of informing them of like what these different styles are? I've been fortunate that most of my clients do know, but I know that a lot of people, you know, they say I like mid-century, but what they really like is modern, contemporary. Mm. They, yeah, yeah, yeah. They're not quite, they don't see the differences. So I have to educate them. Like, I've had a client say, I really like mid-century furniture, and I've sourced items for them, and they don't like that at all. And then they find a piece that they like. This is what I like. Okay, well, that's not mid-century. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. But, yeah, I do feel that a lot of people aren't totally educated on that (laughs) how do you feel um that the way pinterest has shaped the way client requests come in i found i've talked to other people who work whether they're like florists or event planners and things it's sort of this like double-edged sword of like love like what a visual sort of archive that that presents to them but they have people coming in with like 500 images of things and can't find the thread throughout them how has the internet affected the way that you kind of receive client requests and how they're shaping those requests pinterest has been great for me um i actually don't have a lot of clients who come to me with like 100 images like that what i like to do is i create individual boards for each of my clients Mm -hmm. because a lot of items whether they're vintage or new that i can source online i can pin to their individual board they can then purchase them themselves or they can go to the website and look at that information about it I can put images of rooms that I think they like and we can kind of converse back and forth so it's been really helpful for me in that sense but I have had experiences where a lot of people will come to me with one thing of their pin board and we start working at that and but they keep looking because there's just Mm, so much yeah and it's hard to know when to stop sometimes it's hard to know when I'm guilty of it myself. (laughs) I love that you said that you can pin things that people can buy on their own. I want to talk about that sort of difference in the way you're thinking about interior design and the services you offer, because I think it's really important and very sort of the way things are moving. We're going to take a very quick break, and we'll be right back with Amanda Gorski. The International Culinary Center is a proud sponsor of the HeritageRadioNetwork.org. The ICC, with locations in New York and California, provide cutting-edge education to future chefs, restaurateurs, and wine professionals. We're proud to claim Dan Barber, Bobby Flay, and David Chang among our honored alumni. This is Dorothy Can Hamilton from Chef Story. Check out our ICC website at InternationalCulinaryCenter.com.
Hey, welcome back to After the Jump. I'm your host, Grace Bonney, and today I'm speaking with interior designer Amanda Gorski. And before the break, we were talking about something that I've been noticing in interior design that I really love, which is this idea of like opening up and sharing resources and not keeping them behind this like giant wall of interior designer secret things. And I love that you were saying that for clients, you're pinning things and that in some cases they might go buy that chair on their own. And it's not like, oh, if you like this, I'll tell you where you can get it, but only I can buy it. Um, talk a little bit about how that that sort of opening of the design world has, has changed recently, because I think a lot of people still think of interior design as this thing that's like trade only and very secret and very hidden. And I think in a sense that makes people feel like not empowered to make their home look like what they want it to. Personally, I'm completely open to sharing my sources with my clients, especially if they're not crazy items. I mean, the whole situation in doing a markup is because that is compensating me as an interior designer for the time that I'm taking to place that order, track it, manage it. I'm sure something's going to be wrong with it when it gets <laughs> delivered. So to deal with that, um, that's what that compensation is for. But sometimes there's items that are not necessary for us to do that, that aren't that expensive. And I mean, we source things from all over the place and if it's easy for a client to go ahead and do it on their own i'm totally fine with that if they want me to manage it though (laughs) then we're gonna have to do a little something for it um what are the common mistakes people make um in their homes with design that you see the most like when you walk in and you're like oh god it's another bright red accent wall (laughs) that is so funny you say that i literally i have a client who did that and i walked in and they had a bright red wall and it was the first thing I said, can we change that wall? <laughs> um, but I think one of the biggest things I have is that clients, they see images and they know that they like that room, but they it's hard for them to understand how to get it to that point. So they buy big pieces that mm. they think make it work, but they don't actually work together. So I think it's really hard for clients to visualize what a whole room is going to look like. They go, they see a piece of furniture, they know they like this couch. Then they go somewhere else and they see a chair, they know they like this chair, but maybe those two don't work together. You're describing my entire life, which is (laughs) that, like, I think people always assume that bloggers who work in design know how to do what you've just described, which is pull it together, but I have absolutely no idea how to do that, which is why we're working with you in our (laughs) office. Um, And that's one of the reasons I wanted to make this whole season about interior designers, because we've spent so long talking about people who make the individual products, but I'm fascinated by people like you who have such a good eye for, like, seeing all these, whether they're very different or very similar pieces, and knowing what it is to pull those things together. Do you have any rules that you sort of go by? Like, I always make sure that there's three things in the same color palette or do you have any rules you go to or do you think that like all rules are made to be broken when it comes to design I think some rules are made to be broken (laughs) I personally really don't have any rules I kind of it's hard for me to say but I really just visualize something in my head and I try my best to maybe create like a collage of a room image Mm -hmm. of what those items will look like for my clients but it's still really hard for them to see it and in my head I I tell all my clients this at a certain point you just have to trust me (laughs) and again knock on wood so far everything has been great but I think that there's just a certain skill that interior designers have that's why we do what we do Mm -hmm. and we just have to have our clients trust what do you think most clients are the most afraid of? 
I don't know. I think it's different for every client, mm -hmm. honestly. Some are afraid of using certain colors or wall patterns. I know I had a client um, where we did in the entryway a really amazing wallpaper from SKL, which we're actually using with your office. And we it had this really gorgeous kind of peacocky blue mm -hmm. color in it. And I said, let's paint the front door this blue color. And she's like, I don't no, <laughs> it seems kind of wild and out there. I was like, trust me, it's going to look great. And it came out amazing. And she loved it. And her husband was very wary about it. But it turns out he loved it too. And, you know, just certain things like that. So I think out there things that I may suggest sometimes. What are other, whether they're out there or not, um, sort of designers or brands that you're looking to or inspired by right now that you're using in your work a lot, um, whether it's a designer or just at a brand or a shop? Are there any places that you're kind of looking to more than once these days that like you think are just doing really interesting work? Well, I just moved to Brooklyn from the city. Yay. Yeah. <laughs> so I really am trying to explore the neighborhood and explore local designers as, as much as I can. Um, and there's been a lot that I've come across. I'm still learning. I literally mm -hmm. moved. I think I've lived <laughs> in Brooklyn for three weeks now. Uh, I, there's a brand called Egg Collective, which is oh, gorgeous. Those girls are amazing. Yes. I haven't gotten to use their pieces yet, but I'm crossing my fingers. They, I feel like they single hand. Well, there's many of them. Multi-handedly made like smoked glass a big thing at ICFF, which is the International Contemporary Furniture Fair of uh, this past year. I feel like I walked away wanting everything in my house to be smoky glass against gold. And it was very 70s, but in a very like thoroughly contemporary way. Yeah, it's very, very unique pieces and they're gorgeous. And I can't wait to finally use one eventually. I always like seeing how um, with, with that being an example of like how I think a decade kind of informed their work. Like I think the 70s are a very big thing in what they do. Um, what are your sort of most inspirational places or sort of time periods that you're, you're sort of referencing in your work right now? Are there any design destinations that you're very inspired by or do you constantly go back to like the 60s or the 70s? Like what are the things you use when you're sourcing ideas and inspiration? Right now I'm kind of in this mid-century Danish mm mood lately um but with my clients i really don't particularly have one aesthetic i really like to get to know my clients and i think this goes back to being you know my communications background of really listening to what it is that my clients like and helping them find a way to make their home incorporate those things if they like rustic interiors and industrial i I'm from Texas. We can do that with my <laughs> I can do that with my eyes closed. If they like more modern and clean looks, this is New York. We can do that. We've got it. So I really try to cater to exactly what it is that my clients like and not push anything that I personally am into. What do you think you've learned about life from your job? Oh my gosh. Probably just to take it day by day. <laughs> it's hard. It's hard being younger in New York and on your own and in this industry where you kind of have to pay your dues in the interior design world before you get to be a big name. And that used to be by working until your 30s for someone else and then finally being able to break out. And I'm, I come from a very entrepreneurial background. Mm. My father taught me a lot. And I knew from day one I never wanted to work for anybody, especially being a creative person. I just find it very constricting. So immediately, as soon as I felt I had enough knowledge and education to go on my own, I did. And I was lucky with Home Polish, which you mentioned before, was great because they're 
really allowing younger designers mm-hmm. to break out and show what they've got. I think it's I, it really is this like thread running through people, I think, right now that are in their mid 20s to like late 30s that are starting their own businesses or have been running them for a few years now where it's like you just can't imagine working for anyone else. And that lights this fire under you to keep your business going and make it successful. That's hard to have if you don't have this sort of like make or break attitude about running your own business, um, which makes me want to ask you a question I ask people sometimes who are entrepreneurs. Um, if you could look back and give yourself a piece of advice, like Amanda, 10 years ago, what would you tell yourself now, knowing what you, you do about running your business at this stage? I really would have taken more classes, mm. focused on what I wanted to do. Nobody knows. Very few people really know what they want to do when they grow up. I sure, I definitely didn't. But I wish that I had had, I don't know, I just wish I would have known. I wish I would have had a better idea. I could have gone to school for this. Um, I wish I would have done a lot of things geez (laughs) I mean what I'm for me it's really hard because I like to do so many different things and I really want to create things with my hands so I'm kind of like all over the Mm. place and I wish you know I think focusing on one thing at a time is key that's a really good bit of advice I think it's really easy right now to get incredibly overwhelmed by how many things you can do at the same time with the use like with the help of the internet and I like the idea of kind of slowing down one day at a time, one project at a time. Yes. Um, I want to talk about, this isn't a question that Amy, who I work with, um, asks people a lot, and I think it's great, where she always asks people, um, what's your version of an Oscar for your field? Like, what's your holy grail? What's the thing you're working towards in interior design? Do you have a dream project or sort of a dream achievement you want to reach? I think every interior designer dreams of having their work published, like in mm. a big magazine, honestly. Yeah. Awards are great. I'm not necessarily <laughs> into that. Um, but I just think having recognition from the public is a really big deal um, for interior designers. It kind of shows that people trust you and that you're doing something right. That's a good. What do you think the version of that is going to be like in 10 years if print publications don't exist anymore? I don't want to live in a world where they don't, but I feel like every year that becomes more of an increasing possibility. And I'm really curious to see how that shapes like what people's expectations or sort of top range goal ends up being. Cause I'm wondering if there will be like small publications or will it move to television or will it be like a YouTube channel? I really hope that there will always be publications. Yeah. I think people in our field and the arts and creatives will always want that. I mean, I know that I personally will never read a book online. I buy everything, my magazines, Say that is obsolete and there are no print things. I mean, honestly, this is going to sound kind of crazy, but I'm on Pinterest. And when I see a job of mine come up on Pinterest and people are, and that's all over, I'm like, I know if I'm seeing this, then millions of other people are seeing this. And that's a big deal. Um, Obviously, I think any major publication will always have a website. So anytime your work gets featured on that is always a huge, huge deal also. All right. Let's talk about New York a little bit. We have two minutes left, and I want to bring it back to both of our our shared hometown. Um, What are your must-see design spots in New York City? If somebody's coming to visit and they want to be inspired by things that are quintessentially New York, what are the places you would tell people to go visit, whether it's a museum or a restaurant interior that you think is really beautiful or an old home? What are the places you go to for inspiration here in New York? Well, I think the Metropolitan Museum is always mm. a given. It's gorgeous. I mean... I can't get through that place in one day. Oh, no. I, I just get like... I totally conk out. I'm like, I can't stand here anymore. I completely <laughs> crash. I mean, I, I can't. You'll find me in the corner. I can't. <laughs> but it's an amazing place to look at. And they always have a really gorgeous like interior design 
throughout the ages mm-hmm. exhibit that's really cool to see. Um, I think a lot of the hotels are really great these days. Mm. Do you have a favorite? The Greenwich Hotel oh, down in Tribeca. So good. If I could design my home, that's it. Done. The tile work in some of those rooms is, I got to stay there very briefly uh, last year and just looking at every single room is like very different. And yeah. that's got to be an interior designer dream. Is that yeah. something you'd want to do one day? Like hotel work or do you like prefer residential? I think that I prefer residential. I, I think it goes back to being a cancer and being so into <laughs> what my home is like. I feel very, it's very, I want to feel proud about my home. And I like being able to give that to my clients, that pride for them to feel proud about their home because it's a big deal, especially in New York. Everyone's trying to one up each other. So <laughs> I love that. Well, we're just about out of time before we go. Tell people what you're working on now or what they can stay tuned for with Amanda Gorski work. Right now, I am working on a brownstone and park slope, the whole thing. So that's been a really exciting project. We're doing a complete renovation plus an extension off the back. So it'll be a while before you see anything from it, but it'll be an amazing project. Um, And then I believe I've got a piece coming out on Refinery29 through a home polish job. So that'll be exciting to see. That's awesome. Well, for anyone listening who wants to check out Amanda's work, you can check her out online at gimmeshelterdesigns.com. Thanks for being here, Amanda. And we'll be back next Thursday. Thanks so much for listening. Thanks for listening to this program on HeritageRadioNetwork.org. You can find all of our archived programs on our website or as podcasts in the iTunes store by searching Heritage Radio Network. You can like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter at Heritage underscore Radio. You can email us questions at any time at info at HeritageRadioNetwork.org. Heritage Radio Network is a nonprofit organization. To donate and become a member, visit our website today. Thanks for listening.